Hey guys, this is Eric Stanley with the Run For Your Life podcast based here in Austin, Texas. And uh, today we're talking with an um, old friend of mine named Joe Persadis. He started um, Tejas Trails, which was a still is a huge running um, race production company here in Central Texas. Um, big races they put on are the Rocky Raccoon 100 mile race, which has been U.S. championships. Same with Bandera 100K, um, which has been the U.S. championships. I think they had it for eight years or so, um, all for trail running. But he talks with us today about um, his experience getting into race directing and trail running. And he actually started, he said he was one of the first guys that um, built a website for a trail race. And when he started, he said uh, they used to have to mail out um, your race numbers and your registration form in the mail for for each runner. So I can't imagine how much uh, time that would take to do, but um, that's how they started and that's how he started his website. But he's a really great guy, has a lot of um, um, ideas for people that can be helpful putting on races, but also talks about um, characteristics and values that are important um, when working with people in general, but it also plays a role here in uh, race directing. So. Um, Stay tuned. We also, he has a book that is out. So um, we'll give the information um, in the podcast, but also at the end and then the, the notes of the podcast. So uh, thanks for listening. Okay, guys, we got Joe Presidus here. Did I say it right? Presidus? Presidus? Yep. Close enough. Presidus, Presidus. I don't care. Um, previously founder owner of Tejas Trails, um, definitely one of the best race production companies, race companies in uh, the U.S., and uh, put on Bandera, Rocky Raccoon. Um, those were kind of the uh, icon races, I think, that he put on. So, um, And how long were you a race director for, Joe? Oh, all combined, all of those little bits and pieces, about two, 20 years Hey, yeah. So you were in it for a while. Um, you know, Joe has been a runner. He's been a coach, still is a coach, does race directing, still is a runner. Um, but um, so in the last few years has sold Tejas Trails, but is still involved. And so uh, we just want to catch up with Joe today, go over um, kind of his perspective on how things happened and, um, you know, what things that I missed there, Joe. Oh, well, I mean, there's a whole world of things to talk about, but so <laughs> I'm not sure. I mean, you've um, the rest of my life, but that's, that's, that's as quick. We'll get everything. <laughs> um, well, I kind of want to start with how you, um, I don't even know if I know, I mean, I think you're in the military, right? And Yeah, I was in the Army for three years, served in Korea, worked on missiles. I was a computer tech. Cool. I mean... It's, uh, yeah. And so were you, uh, how'd you get into running and were you running then? Um, was it something that happened later in life? Oh, it was a sequence of events, I guess. Like most things I was in the army and I was, when I was in the army, we had running requirements. So I ran when I was in the service, but only because I was required to. And then got it later on. I, um, I don't know. I 
got into different sports, which had running components, but it wasn't running. And then somewhere later on when I was an engineer, I had my family grew and I had enough children that I had no time left for myself. So I got into running just to stay fit. So, so that was your time away. Time for yourself was going out and running. Yeah, well, it was like a, it was uh, something on the calendar. The way I set it up is on my way home from work, I would stop at uh, McKinney McKinney Falls and go run that three mile loop as a stress down moment before I got home. Oh, nice. Yeah, that sounds really nice right now, actually. <laughs> um, so you didn't grow up running. This was kind of no happened later on in life. I grew up playing. You had how many? Okay. Yeah. And where are you from? I am a military brat, so I'm from everywhere. Okay. Yeah. I lived in, uh, I was born in San Diego, but we lived in Alaska. And then we moved to Virginia and then Philadelphia and then France and then Virginia and, you know, all over. So you've been everywhere. Well, not everywhere, but uh, uh, plenty enough, I guess. Yeah. 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 I've been all over the U.S. Well, so when you started running, um, I think from what I remember, well, I don't know about when you started running, but when I kind of came um, to, when I met you, trail running had just kind of maybe it had been taken off in the last five years. I'm thinking that was into, maybe I met you 2000 and. Uh, six, two thousand seven. Yeah, I was wondering when that was. Yeah, I think so. I it was kind of towards the end end of my college time. So, yeah, maybe two thousand seven, two thousand eight, somewhere in there. And um, you were coaching or race directing at for the uh, trail series for the road trail series. You know, I was also uh, I was also directing the Austin Marathon at that time. Really? No, I did not know that. Yeah, I directed uh, – John Conley and I directed it as partners for a couple of years after the guy that created the race left. Okay. Because I got involved with and the so marathon from the very beginning in 92. I worked for Motorola, so – and and so a handful of us got together and created Austin Marathon, and we directed it for – I don't know. I was involved for about 16 years, and – in the middle of that, the guy that was the race director left town. He just said to hell with it, and he left. And John Conley, oh, okay. John Conley and I end up picking up all the pieces and managing it. And then John became the de facto director of it. And then I got just pushed over onto the board. So. And y'all worked together. Did y'all work together at Motorola? John didn't. John wasn't part of it at the beginning. John okay. was year one but john come in a year later i think and he worked at motorola in the um i don't know in one of the um athletic departments or something like that and john had a committee and i had a committee and there was probably 30 committees and carosa was like a uh, consultant i believe at the time and then somewhere about seven, eight years in, they threw the whole thing over to Carosa and took it out from underneath Motorola. So, yeah, that, that's a whole different story, uh, Eric. We could talk for hours about the whole history of Austin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I did not know that about um, the Austin Marathon. And then, 
Um, so it you was- were kind of, you had already been race directing in different aspects and, um, yeah, before trail. Yeah. I had, I would been involved with directing the Austin marathon. And what got you into trail running? Oh, you know, I, when I was, uh, involved with Austin marathon, they would send uh, me and my wife, Joyce to, uh, different marathons around the country to promote the Austin marathon. And so we were running five, four or five marathons every year um, because we'd go to promote it. New York, we'd run New York. We'd go to promote it. Uh, Boston, we'd run Boston. And so we were running five marathons a year. And after a while, it just started getting a little stale, I think, after we had both done about 50 marathons over a period of so many years. And then I saw an ad for... Yeah, I saw an ad for a trail race, which blew me away. I didn't know such a thing existed. And when was this, do you think? Uh, I know exactly when it was. I was supposed to run the 1995 Sunmart 50 Mile. I was registered for the race, and I got sick and had to cancel. So then I just put it off for a year later. So my first trail race was actually that same race in 96. So I started running trails in 95, 94. Gotcha. So when what um, what race was that? that Sunmark. You, what was, was the ad? Sunmark was a... Oh, that's what you said, Sunmark. Okay. Sunmark was the biggest race on the planet back then, the biggest trail race anyway. It had 1,000 runners at it. It was huge. Okay. Yeah, it was, it was too big, actually. It was so big, it was so crowded, you couldn't hardly run what you wanted to run. And that race existed for a long time, but it just kind of fell off when Sunmart stopped being a sponsor. They fell out, and then the race kind of watered down from 1,000 to 100 really fast. Yeah. So I don't know what all became other races. No, it was still there. It was weird dynamic. It was owned by... Uh, Oh, the people that put on Western were the same people that put on uh, Sunmart. Western okay. States and Sunmart were the same people, same gear, same swag, all that. And so when they threw Sunmart out, it, the race didn't go away. It just wasn't promoted. And a lot of people thought it stopped, but it didn't. So <laughs> it just kind of got mismanaged down to nothing. I, I'm not. I think it even still ran two years ago. I haven't heard of it recently. It's certainly yeah. not on the running uh, trail running circuit. Nobody in trail running knows about it, even if it still goes. Mm-hmm. So it's weird. It just kind of faded into nothing. But it was a huge race. I would go run the fifty miler every winter. I did it like twelve years in a row. So that was my intro. That was Pretty my intro. Consistent. Yeah, well, you know me, I, I kind of get into something I like, and I'll just keep going back to it. And where, uh, did you say where it was? So it was in Huntsville, same place as Rocky Raccoon. Oh, okay. Same park, same trails. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, there so was that's a kind of what got Pardon. you out there. Uh, there's a guy down there named Mickey Rollins that had put on a whole series of events there. He created the Rocky Raccoon 100 and at that time, there was only like 10 hundreds in the country. But he, Mickey had put on one of them, and he created a whole series of events to build up to it. 
And so he had, uh, I don't know, seven, eight different races of all different distances from uh, 25K all the way up to 100 mile that he created to build up for Rocky. So that's kind of how I got connected into that through Mickey Rollins. And then back in those days, there were only two trail clubs in the whole state. One was in uh, Amarillo, I think, and the other one was in Dallas, uh, North Texas Trail Runners. So I got hooked up with all those folks. And then so you eventually took over Rocky Raccoon, I think, right? And so what happened uh, to Mickey? Mickey uh, was a school teacher in Houston. And uh, he, when he retired, he decided he didn't want to race direct anymore. So he started throwing his races out. He wanted, uh, he asked me to take the hundred from him. And some of the other races he gave to a guy named Paul Stone up in uh, Tyler. I mean, the racers were at Huntsville, but Paul took over a few of them and I took over just the hundred. So he just gave it to me. So. And when, so were you already, was that after I had met you at Rogue or was that before that? I took over Rocky probably around 04, I think, 04, 05. Okay. Somewhere in there. Yeah, but because by, by that point, I had uh, two races, I think. I had created Rocky Hill Ranch that became, ended up becoming Hell's Hills. And then I'd created Bandera. So I had those two races. And uh, then uh, the same year I, I took Rocky, I created the uh, the Rogue Trail Series. Gotcha. I got involved with Steve, Steve Sisson, an uh, old buddy of mine. I knew him from Runtex and when he ran for UT. And he asked me if I'd help him create the uh, a series of trail races. And I said, well, sure, I'll do that. So I went out and did all the footwork and – Steve had an in. He knew a guy in the park service that could get us into the park. Steve, I think, was coaching his son. And so the rule was we could put on the race until he heard about him. So we had to kind of be smooth and sly about it, you know, where we do them bibless or, you know, and stuff like that. Anyway, we had uh, Steve gave me all the uh, basics, and I went out and I created these three trail races. One was at um, Walnut Creek, one was at Barton Creek, and one was over at Emmalong uh, Motocross. And uh, I put the routes together, I laid out the aid stations, I put it together, put it all, everything, and I gave it to Steve. I said, okay, Steve, I got it. And he goes, ah, Joe, I've changed my mind, I'm not going to do it. And I got in his face, that's bullshit you ain't. I've just invested a couple of months in this. We're going to do this. And Steve's like, okay, well, you're going to be there with me then. I says, fine. That's cool. Yeah. So he asked me to do it, and then I had to make him do it. So so all of that was that's how that's all the same time. Okay. Um, gotcha. No, that's cool. I didn't. So the first races were at, you said, um, there was Emmalong. one in Creek, one at Walnut Creek, yeah. one at Emmalong Motocross. Okay. So we have the trail series and that's something that still goes on today. Yep. Um, yeah. They're still going. I remember it. I think the only thing they got that still remains of the original is, uh, the maze at Walnut Creek. Walnut. Yeah. There was a fourth one I made for them just before I left them. 
but it only lasted one year. That was out at the climbing walls in, um, oh, Rimers. Rimers, yeah. 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 I think that was, uh, I think that was the last. So I started at Rogue around, yeah, 2000. And you came in right after I went. Right. Yeah. Right when you were leaving. But I was there at, I think maybe the last one you did at Rimers Ranch. Um, that was my, and good, I remember running. That was my goodbye party. Yeah. <laughs> I remember <laughs> doing that race. That was kind of, it was the summertime or it was oh, it almost was summer. And I yeah, it was. Drank too much that night before and I barely finished. Oh, I just remember yeah. they won't. So I put on uh, our Salma Gundy trail run. I know you did. I ran November. it. Yeah. So they don't let us use, I think you're the race that we did or that you did used all the bike trails, but they won't let us use them right now. I didn't um, just use the bike trails, Eric. I took it down on the climbing wall trails. Yeah. The cliffs. Yeah, we only have that one section that goes next to those climbing walls, but we they're a little more strict about what we can use. But it's a great park, and I love um, – yep. it's beautiful, and it's – you know, we've we've enjoyed being out there. And we're in there – we're there in November, so the lack of shade doesn't really – hurt us too much yeah not november it doesn't yeah um okay so you started with so you had kind of already you had rocky raccoon you were doing that already and then you had the trail series um and then how did you move forward from there i mean i know well uh, what happened was that was your last sorry all of that time i was working as an engineer at motorola i was a software engineer working for them and then i got laid off and when I got laid off, I went to work for Rogue and I worked for Rogue for one year. And at the end of that year, I not only quit Rogue, but I quit working the Rogue series. And when I quit working the Rogue series, that same time, Brad Quinn asked me to help him with a race he was doing called the Captain Carl's Night Race. It was out at Inks Lake. It was just a single race. It was a 12 hour, six hour format. Okay. To help him figure it out because he was trying to raise money for charity for uh, because his uh, stepdad had passed away from cancer. And I agreed to help him. But uh, immediately we changed the format. We changed it from 12 hours, six hour to a 60K, 30K. Uh, my thought was that it was about the same time, same distance, but people were confused and didn't understand the whole 12 hour format well. And I right. thought he would get a lot more intent attendance if he changed it to a specific distance. And, uh, I'm not sure if that did it or what, but it certainly boomed because not only did we change the format, but then we dialed in two other locations. So we turned it into a three race series and then later a four race series so, so as soon as I quit working with Rogue, I went immediately to work with Brad, create his. So those Captain Carl's, a lot of years, people thought they were mine, part of Tails Trails, but they never were. They were Brad's races. I was a consultant. Yeah, you were just helping. Yeah, he paid me a certain fee to come help him build that whole sequence of series up. And we did. And I did. And it became a very phenomenal series. So. No, I think, I mean, it's still... You know, a lot of our runners go and do it. I still, to date, haven't done one. Oh, because, it's a phenomenal uh, set of races. I love those races. 
I'm afraid of the uh, the dark and the heat. So, <laughs> well, but, I, I mean, they te- the dark test you, and at nighttime in the summer, it's easier dealing with that heat. So, yeah, maybe it's the fact that since I've had a kid, um, I can't imagine not sleeping at night when I can sleep. When the, <laughs> no, you're in a couple you're of months <laughs> where we weren't sleeping, so so you can't waste that time. Yeah. But no, I think that's a, so you got through those, helping those series. And then, and then I really, yeah, I saw at some point uh, you stopped kind of um, consulting him and he. Yep. I worked with started him. Started doing it on his own. Gotcha. Yeah. He, he was there the whole time. He was a big part. We basically split the work between me, Joyce and him. And then, uh, and then after about six, seven years, I told him I was done. I wanted my summers back. I was mm-hmm. I mean, you know how much work it is to put on a race and to put on three, three uh, races, night, four races through the summer in Texas. It's not like it's a, a six-hour sequence. It's the whole weekend. And so right. we were giving away four weekends in the middle of a Texas summer, and it was trashing us to direct those races. Yeah. I mean, we were basically up for two and a half nights, and after the summer, we were wiped out. And after five or six years of those summers, <laughs> Joyce and I yeah. decided we were done. I mean, as good as that was working and as cool as Brad was to work, because he became good friends of ours, we just sure. we couldn't do it no more. Yeah, I think that I've realized that in all the races I put on, you know, 50K and under, so part of me really wants to put on, you know, a, a longer race, but I, I, I'm also grateful when I can go home, you know, the day of the race. You get a lot more money bed. for it. You get paid a lot more for it, but let me tell you, you deserve every damn penny of that. Oh, definitely. You yeah. I don't, I mean, everything. people don't realize most, unless you put it on, you know, people don't realize what, um, you know, what it's, what it's like and what it takes, you know? So, um, and when did you start? So what I remember is the main races, Bandera, Rocky Raccoon. When did you start with Bandera? Uh, I think Bandera was, oh, three, maybe. I think so my- shortly after around the same time as Rocky Raccoon. Well, let me, let me, let me dial in the sequence. I, the first trail race okay. I, created, I created was Rocky Hill Ranch, and that was, I think, in 01. And That's it, Hell's Hills? Yeah, it became Hell's Hills. And then it was maybe a year, year and a half later, I created Bandera. And then a year after Bandera, I got Rocky. And that's about when I started the Rogue Trail Series. And, uh, and after that, it started building into these other races. I adopted, um, a race called Warda Cardiac that I renamed to Wild (laughs) Hair. Wild Hair is originally Warda Cardiac. It was such a goofy name that I knew we could get more people by just giving it a more respectable name. (laughs) Yeah, something that... Not going to scare people away. <laughs> yeah, that name was something else. 
So I adopted that. I adopted Rocky and I adopted uh, Warda Cardiac. Actually, when I got Warda Cardiac, there was a guy named Damon Nolan that, uh, that lived there at the ranch, at Bluff Creek Ranch. He was one of the family, right? And he had a three-race series there. He had Warda Cardiac, a race called Doogie's Run. Doogie, I think, was his dog. And he had some run that had some very long name. It was a charity run for some church that he was raising money for. And when he was leaving there, he asked me if I would take the races. I said, listen, this is what I would do if you gave me the races. So before I take them, I want to let you know what I'm thinking. And what I'm thinking is that place is not good enough for three races in it. So I would take all three of those races and I would turn them into one race. And then I would take one of those dates because I, I have another race that I have an idea for that I don't have a place to put it. And so when he gave me those three races, that's when I created Cactus Rose because I had Cactus Rose in my head for like three years, but I didn't have a good date to put it on. I didn't want to step on anybody. And there was okay. no to put it on a calendar. So when he gave me those three races, he opened up the Cactus Rose date, which is exactly the date I wanted for that. And so that's when I created Cactus Rose. So even then you were facing yep. calendar conflict with other events. Well, nowadays, Eric, you're trying not to step on the same weekend with some people. Back then we were trying not to get within three weeks of somebody else. Yeah, right. I mean, because if you do a hundred mile one weekend, you're not going to do a hundred K the next weekend. Not most folks, <laughs> right? Yeah, no. So right. we were conscious of how this, I mean, we're all runners. We're conscious of how this buildup works and how you interact with these other races. So we were trying to be understanding, considerate. All these race directors, they knew each other. They ran each other's races. We worked each other's races. All of us were a big family. We were a community that worked together. Mm -hmm. so it was it was hard to find a place to put it so yeah so what started um kind of made me think about the texas trail championships is that did that bridge off of that like these are all most of these people are friends that y'all have been working you know working together or at least doing the same thing but respecting each other helping each other out how you could well, and you then, know how all this works, Eric. You have this idea in your head, and you may have it there for a long time, but there's really no good way to implement it. It just doesn't fit. It's impossible to get people all at the same table together, all that kind of stuff. Sure. So I had this idea for that Texas Trail Championship thing for a long time. But when my calendar got, my race directing calendar got such that I had a race just about every month of the year is when I created the championship series. And the first year it was just my races. So I didn't have to talk to anybody. I just had to create right. it and throw it up there. It was just another link on my website. But after- well, It's a way to keep people competing within yep. all the races you have, right? Once, yeah, and once it was just my races, it was just Chaos Trails races, which included Brad's races, of course. Yeah. But after a year, I know all these other race directors. I mean, I've run their races, I've run with them, I know these guys. So I contacted all these other race directors and asked them if they wanted to join in. And 
every one of them was excited as hell about getting involved. They wanted in this series as well. So I, to create it, I, I don't, I mean, a lot of the mathematics and the formulas for figuring out how to score was beyond me. I got this, a couple of guys that were very big in that was a guy named Ben Phoenix and mm-hmm. uh, David Jacobson and also uh, David Hannenberg up in Dallas. Those three guys started digging up all kinds of stuff. But it was mostly Ben Phoenix that put together the formulas from all these other people around the country that had already done that to create the scoring system. And then the rules, all the rules and the scoring and all that. We were trying to make it fair. I mean, here I am. I'm running in the races and I'm trying not to be partial to my team or me, but I want it to be fair. So we're trying to create these scoring systems and these methods and rules that made sense. So it was fun and interesting and it evolved from that. So I also remember you got on Bandera and Rocky Raccoon were on some, I think it was the La Sportiva circuit and there was some Montreal stuff or maybe that was through Rogue, but how did, how did those play a role? (laughs) Do you think those, you know, help get you different runners, different, traffic how important well, is they doing certainly, something like that for a race? they certainly helped me get more runners but i didn't go out to get those accolades those those people all contacted me western states contacted me about having bandera be part of a scoring system to get in the western and uh, and uh, La Sportiva asked me to have some of my races in their Mountain Cup series. And then another shoe company asked me to have my races. So it, after a while, I had these other companies trying to promote their product. And they knew that we had this really cool system of races down here. And they would contact me. And so I, I didn't do any of that work. I, it was none of my credit. It was simply because... Our races were getting noticed, and they were people all, all over the country are running them. So yeah, I think that's still due to your credit. You it know, was all because of the good work you're doing, right? Right. It was all grassroots. It was nothing I went looking for. They all contacted me and asked me, and I said, "Well, hell yeah, let's do it." <laughs> Why would I not? How many? Right. What were the size of the races? Like. Was Bandera and uh, Rocky the biggest races then? Uh, yeah, from the very beginning, Bandera and Rocky have been the biggest. Rocky had been there 10 years before I took it over. And when okay. I took over Rocky, it was about 100 people. And that's all they got every year is about 100. But Rocky, back in those days, you have to understand, Eric, another thing that was going on here that we haven't talked about was the was the creation of the World Wide Web and the Internet. It didn't exist it got created in 89. So by 96 and 97, this stuff is just really getting started. Yeah, Races weren't on a website. You had to find out about these races from your club. And then from your club, you would get an address. You would write a letter to this race director and they would send you an entry form in the mail and you'd fill it out <laughs> and mail it back to them. God dang. I'm like serious. There was no website. So yeah. I'm a software yeah, engineer. 
I was one of the first race directors to create a website around their race. So Rocky became one of the first races in the country that had a website wrapped around it. So immediately Rocky went from a hundred runners to 400 runners. And it was because of the internet, because the World Wide web. But that's what was going on back then. We were just getting started with this stuff. Yeah. So well, I kind of remember that's when that um, uh, Born to Run yep. kind of came out yep. after that. But that was what two thousand four or something. Yeah. And then people just started um, going nuts about trail running. Yeah. Worse than that, they so, showing up without shoes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just, yeah. What was your thought the first? First time someone showed up barefoot. Oh my God. You know, some places I think it's cool and you could pull it off and it's, it's yeah. not a big deal. Uh, you could probably run some of those races. But when I saw a guy show up at, uh, at Bandera barefoot and I looked at that guy, I says, you're going to hurt so bad. I says, your feet are going to hurt so bad. And it just, I, we had a guy at Rocky Raccoon came one time with a, uh, with a, head camera on and he was going to video himself doing Rocky Raccoon barefoot. And unfortunately that year was one of the frozen years It dropped down into the team <laughs> yeah. and all the bridges were iced over. So he was fine on the dirt and the mud and stuff. But when he got on the bridges, they were cutting his feet, but his feet were so cold. They were frozen. He didn't feel them. And so he Jeez. finished that first loop and his, his, his feet were all bloody. And he, he stopped and talked to my our medical people, and they says, dude, you're done. You, you need to. He goes, I'll tell you what, I'm going to put some socks and shoes on, and I'm going to go run. And we're like, okay, you go ahead. So he puts socks and shoes on, he does another loop, but now his feet thaw out. Now he can feel them. <laughs> and he comes in damn near crying after the second loop, and he was done. And he was honest about it. He says, well, that was a serious mistake. I should have just let it go. So, yeah, I, we saw lots of people come out and do that. And I understand all the reasoning behind it. Hell, I've run in five-finger shoes. I've run in five-finger shoes. I've done a lot of that kind of stuff. But I'm not sure I would do some of that stuff barefoot. or. Yeah. I, I know people do, and, and they're very good at it. But I just I, I've seen more people not being smart about it than the ones that are smart. Yeah, my brother runs. He don't run the five fingers. He runs in the sandals. Or, uh, but he trained for uh, Leadville and was going to do the hundred. He ended up doing fifty miles of it in his sandals. But I think Leadville, you might know. be able to pull it off. That's not terribly rugged. It's in right. The, I mean, it's, it's at altitude, but it's not super rocky. No, I mean, you yeah. run a race like J&J. Oh, my goodness. I mean, oh, yeah. it's hard to avoid the prickly pear and the cactus and all that other stuff that just slice you up. All that lava rock that is just sharp edges and stuff. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I don't – are people doing – are people running in sandals out there? Yeah. 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 When I personally ran it myself, after I sold the business, I started running that race. And I ran with a guy that did it uh, in sandals. And uh, he didn't finish the race. 
he ran a couple of loops and he came back the next year and he was wearing shoes and he, he introduced himself again. He goes, Hey, I'm the guy that was running in sandals last year. I'm like, Oh, I remember you. Oh yeah. I remember that. <laughs> yeah. Good to see you in shoes this time. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I'm not going to slam those people. I mean, they can run however the hell they want to run, but I damn sure wouldn't do it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm 65 now, and I know how easy it is. I, I used to think I was indestructible, but I do know now how easy it is to get hurt and how long it takes to come back. So I would just soon avoid that just to prove a point. Right. <laughs> I mean, you can have it, but I'm I'm just not going to gamble that way anymore. <laughs> you had uh, – so Bandera and – uh, Bandera was 100K, has been the 100K US Championships, and yeah, those, Rocky has been the 100 Championship for yeah, USATF. No, yeah. Noasis was um, well. Noasis was uh, 50 miles. 50? Yeah. Yep. So you had a lot of races on those champion that were championship races. Um, when you look back, what do you think are some of the more memorable experiences as you, know, you as a race director? I I can't tell you names i'm not very good at that but Mm -hmm. i think one of the most two of the most memorable things were at rocky raccoon uh, the year that um that uh the british guy i forget his name came and set the american record or actually the world record for the 100 miles there he uh oh goodness why why do i not remember his name i know him very well it, I'm almost embarrassed, but he, um, it was a stacked field that year. He had, uh, there was like 16 guys that were all sub 14 hour, hundred mile runners that all came to Rocky to show up. And it sorted into three different packs early on in the race in loop one. And I think, goodness, why do I not remember things? Anyway, he, um, what was the date? I'll look it up for you. I don't even remember the date. Yeah, but I know he held the record for the longest time. Oh, he had – this was the record for the longest time run? Yep. It was for the fastest time for the 100 mile for many years. Uh, he's He works – Liza is working with him as a coach right now. He's got his own coaching. Okay. Anyway, he um, he was in the third pack. And all the other packs were kind of sorting themselves out, and they were in groups of three and four. And this guy was in the third pack, and he, um, they weren't, they didn't even know who, they didn't even know who the hell this guy was. And when the first two packs were coming in at the end of their third loop, they both, it was, after 60 miles, they were all sort of sorting themselves out. They were all dealing with crews and stuff. And he was in the third pack. He turned around and he come in, turned around, and went right back out. So suddenly this guy in the third pack is in the lead because nobody's just paying attention to him at that moment. And the reason nobody noticed him is because nobody knew who the hell he was. And he continued on until all those other guys got back out there and somewhere on the fourth loop, everybody realized that, Hey, there's somebody in front of us. <laughs> and then, even know. and well, they all sort of splintered at this point. Everybody decides, okay, I've been smart. 
all this time. Now it's time to go. We need to catch this guy. And all of those guys that were in packs one and two splintered into individuals and they all went after him. And he ended up finishing a race like in 1244, 100 mile, set the world record for that time on trail. I mean, there's no, I take that back. It's not a world record. It's fastest known time. There is no world records on trail, right? Gotcha. There isn't because it's not measured. It, well, it is measured, but it's not official. There's so many variables. Yeah. Anyway, so he, he is now owner of the fastest time ever on trail, the 1244 at that time. And uh, that was probably one of the most memorable times. The other memorable time is when um, – Oh, goodness. Another guy came uh, two years before that, and he was chasing uh, Pacheco was his name, Jorge Pacheco. And he was on pace to break the record. And the whole race, you could hear the people yelling at every aid station as he went around the lake. Miles away, you could hear the yell go up as this guy went through. He was under pace to set the world record. And when he come in towards where the finish was, he was right on the edge. And this guy come in, I think at that time, the record was like 1312 or something like that. And this guy come in, he crossed the finish line. We got his time. We looked at it. And as he's running in, you can see the clock. It looks like it's going in high speed now. It's going really fast. And he comes in like six seconds or four seconds behind the world record. He misses it by seconds in a hundred mile race. And he sits there. Well, he stands there and he puts his arms down on his knees and his head's hanging down. And he looks up at me and he goes, I missed it, didn't I? I says, yeah, yeah, you did. And it was weird. This guy ran one of the fastest times ever in a 100-mile race. And it was so anticlimactic and and. It was so deflating. It was weird. The whole crowd was just dead silent. There was nobody saying nothing. Even the runners that were going around that time stopped and were standing there watching. It was weird. Weird. All the energy. And it just kind of like somebody popped it and it just went out. Yeah. That's nuts. I didn't know that. Uh, That's fast out there. Charmin. Ian Charmin. Oh, yeah. Charmin. I, I thought this was uh Charmin was the on. guy that set the world record a few years later. How, so this was, what was this, like five years ago, six years oh, ago? Oh, goodness. It must be seven years now, okay. something like seven, eight years now since he's done that. Because I think he ran, he ran it. Yeah, I guess I had started Trail Roots 2014 and I had gone out there that year. Now, mind you, all of this stuff is written down, but it's not all in my head. It's all jumbled. Hopefully, I'm not telling you lies about some of this stuff because I don't have that sort of stuff in front of me. I didn't no, know I was going to be going through my quizzing you. my records here. <laughs> okay, what about um, some of the challenging parts of race directing? I mean, now that you know, there's so many people doing it versus when you were doing it well it's probably the same answer you would have you know what it is the the most difficult part of doing anything is dealing with difficult people right i mean sometimes it's a runner sometimes it's a volunteer sometimes some service you deal with you know rentals 
shitters, awards. But in the past couple of years, our biggest difficulty, bar none, is dealing with the state parks. They're gotcha. so inconsistent and unreliable about what you can do and what you can't do. When I first got involved, as long as they knew we were honestly taking care of the park, they were awesome. They knew we were great. They treated us great because we were taking care of their parks. But recently, they don't really care how we take care of the park. They could care less if we're there or not. They have canceled races. They have because they thought it might rain. You know, there's rain in the forecast. So when you're putting on a business, when you got people coming in from all over the planet and they cancel an event on you, oh my goodness, how do you deal with stuff like that? That's why we took that one race, Bandera, and we moved it from Bandera out to uh, out to Camp Eagle. Camp Eagle. Yeah. We did it spontaneously over a week. They canceled the race where we had a thousand people coming in and all the attendees and we had to move it to another place because they canceled the race because the forecast was for rain and it didn't rain. Yeah. But the forecast was for rain. So what I remember had been flooding or something. Yeah. We live in a real planet with real weather and there's no way to know what the hell is ever really going to happen until it does. So, but we've been doing that race out there in all kinds of weather in all these years. And you know what? After we may go out there and trash the trail by running a bunch of people in the rain and creating these awful tracks. But you know what? The next rain with a few shovels or whatever, you can go out there and fix that stuff. It's not like we've destroyed it. It certainly changed. Right. But you don't destroy a park by running people on it. You don't. Park ceases right. to exist if nobody goes to it. Yeah, it's interesting. Are these? I mean, I guess they're. I guess the state parks is not for profit, but they are, are a they government are? entity. And uh, we have talked to the people here and at the major, you know, the main park office about that. And basically, our understanding of what they told us is that each park ran. Our park ranger, the manager, is given free reign, within reason, of course, to manage that park as they see fit. Mm -hmm. So each one of them are basically making their own decisions. So when they tell you they can't do something because, the real reason is because that's how they feel about it. Yeah. So our so my, reason to have. during all these years of race directing, the most difficult and awkward circumstances we've ever had is dealing with park rangers and i gotta i gotta back yeah, up because some of the park rangers are the best people i've ever met some of them are awesome but some of them's own personal agenda just doesn't make sense so right and so yeah, and then you're all the volunteers all the everything has to shift and so it would be nice we if we could take an awesome venue and have it follow the park ranger when he moves to another park, but that's not how it works. Yeah. Basically, as the park rangers rotate between parks, we get what we get, and we hope we get lucky. Right. No, I mean, it's a huge uh, struggle. I can imagine that challenge just 
you know, I think so that that happened the year before last and you guys had your backup plan. And so at this time you had already, have you, you have sold Tejas Trails? It was right about the time I sold it. Okay. The bottom then, line is, um, is we kind of know who is unreliable and we know who is reliable. So mm-hmm. the ones that are unpredictable, we're ready with backups. Backups, yeah. And the other guys are just so solid. I mean, we're taking care of the parks. My God, we love that place as much as they do. And we want it to be nice forever like they do. We don't right. have an ulterior agenda. Our 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 concept is to make that place as beautiful and nice and comfortable as they want it to be. That's how we want it too. So I, I we never sure. could understand why they didn't want to work with us. It didn't make sense. They've right. got this entire yeah, group of people that want to come out there and help them. Granted, we're trying to generate some money, but it's not just for us. We're bringing money to the entire community. Right. So Yeah, I mean, you bring a thousand people to, you know, or more, you have a thousand runners plus spectators. I know there's nowhere down that road that have uh, changed ownership in the last 10 years. And I, and some of the reasons are probably laid right there at the footsteps of that park. Gotcha. Just a struggle to work with. We had a, there's also a long distance horse riding that goes on out there and they have been shut out as well. I got a call from a woman that had put on some endurance rides that didn't know what to do. She was mystified. She did not know how to continue with something that she'd been doing for many years. So it's not just the runners. It's just, it's just inconsistency of their personality. It didn't make sense. And at Hill Country State Natural Area, where we're talking about, you know, how many, there's probably 50 miles of trails there? Um, uh, We created a route that was 31 miles, which basically used all of it. Okay. Yeah. And that's, is that what you do for cactus? Cactus. What we did with cactus oh, no, is we, we, is a 25 mile loop. Cactus oh, is right. okay. loop. What, we, what we did with cactus is we took out the flat parts of the Bandera loop, the 31. Mm-hmm. 31 had this long five-mile section that was pretty flat, and we removed that part. So cactus is a shorter loop, but it's more difficult because it's all hills. Right. Yeah, that was uh, my first 50-mile. Yeah, I remember. And, uh, <laughs> you, were work, you were directing, and I – it was a whole different experience for me than uh, I remember. You were under stress, uh, as I recall. Yeah, I think I was. I put a lot of pressure on myself to be to get that golden ticket or get top three, and uh, and it was you know I hadn't run. I ran that fifty mile in October, and then um, went well, and uh, and then I remember halfway, I thought I was done, and I was just boohooing. And started that second one. You, well, I stopped and I was like, I don't think I can go anymore, Joe. And you're like, well, there's just like everything. There's ups and downs. You just got to keep going. You yeah, know, all so, that a memorable moment. Yeah, memorable for me. I remember. <laughs> and I got, I got through, uh, I forget. It's after, I think it's before, I think it's before the next aid station, before you get to uh, Crossroads. But I kept going up this hill, back and down three or four times and I just started 
crying because I couldn't do it. Yeah. And then finally, um, I forgot his name too. Uh, this guy came up running and just pulled me along with him. We started talking and, uh, next thing you know, I finished the race. So, um, it? but yeah, it taught me a lot. And just thinking about what you said, that there's ups and downs and you, if you take out the personal side of it and you just look at it, like, okay, this is just how it is right now. And this will change. I think it's pretty, it was helpful for me. Um, what, uh, so right now, what's your role with, uh, Tejas Trails? Um, that's a good question. I, um, uh, before the pandemic, uh, Chris had asked me to direct four of his races to free up some of his time. So I was to direct Cactus and Rocky 50 and Pandora and Wild Hair. Uh, and, uh, besides that, I was going to help him mark a bunch of courses and, uh, and I was getting paid for all that. But uh, but with the pandemic, uh, Pandora obviously went away, and uh, we're not sure what's going to happen the rest of the year. So I'm not sure what's going on with all that right now. So, but you had started, you started helping out because you when did, you sold Tejas Trails a couple of years ago, and now you've been yeah. Well, the uh, contract was such that. When I sold him the race, part of the contract was for the following year, I was to remain in charge of all the races and directing as if I still own them so that it would be a really hardcore direct handoff so he could see what the heck I'm doing before he had it completely. So he owned it the last year I directed it. And, and that was right. not just one race. It was all of them the entire year. And then the year after that, he asked me if I would come back and and help him continue to uh, mark and lay out races because even though the rest of it, the to-do lists and all the different processes we created were understandable and he could follow those, he didn't know the people the parks and the trails that well yet. Yeah. There was no way he was going to come up to speed. That's just going to take some time. I mean, it took us right. years to learn to park at uh, Hill Country. So so it made sense. So I continued to be involved with courses, with marking and uh, and laying out changes and recreating and stuff like that. But besides that, I wasn't doing much else. He didn't need me for the rest of it. He, he wanted it. He wanted to learn it. He wanted to own it, right? Mm-hmm. So, and it made sense. So, I so think I, it still helps. I think people, yeah. Sorry, but just seeing you out there, I think people seeing you helps, uh, you know, all the folks that you've developed relationships with, you right. know, enjoy seeing you out there. And I think there's, there's a value to that for sure. Well, I enjoyed it too. I love being out there. I would have, I mean, I, I liked running the races, but I, I like being out there too. I like, Marking courses just to be out in the country is just awesome to me. I like doing that kind of stuff. Yeah, you look around, you're like, man, this is my job right now. Yeah, how would you yeah. like your office to be uh, out in a, in a forest somewhere, you know? Yeah. And that's what it was. My job was to go out there and mark courts. Shoot, that was glorious. No, I, 
I agree. In terms of um, race directing, I think you've built, or over the years, you've built an incredible race community. And I look at kind of what I'm doing with Trail Roots, building a training community. And I think you did it in a whole different way with people coming to your races. And I think you had, you know, a ton of the same folks showing up to different races and every year to the same races. And, um, you know, what do you think, or how were you able to build such a, you know, epic community around your races? You know, I thought a lot about that, Eric, because, uh, because a lot of that was just how I was with people. It's how I treated people. And after it was just my personality, but after a while, and especially when I got around to selling the business and afterwards writing the book about the business, I had to write that stuff down and really get into it and think about it. And I started writing down some of those things that were part of my personality, which I think were very key in me building it. Now, mind you, I didn't know this stuff in advance. I didn't write it down. It's just what I pulled out of my characteristics. And Mm -hmm. when you sent me this other day, I wrote down some of those because I wasn't sure I can even remember them all back to back. But this is what I wrote. I says one of them was I I always did what I said I was going to do. I never, never, ever made an empty promise. If I said we were starting at seven o'clock, we started at seven o'clock. If I said we were going to have water at all these stations, there were going to be water. Whatever I wrote down or posted on that website was what happened. I never deviated. If I found something that was a mistake, I would own it and I would deal with it and I would change it after the race to make sure I didn't have to deal with it again next year. But I never did anything other than what I said I was going to do. That was probably one of the key things. The other one was, is that you have to respect everyone. And one of my key points, especially growing up in the military was it's about time. You show up on time. You start on time. You meet every finisher. This is all about respecting these people that have paid you money and come to your race. You respect every damn one of them. You respect every one of your volunteers. If you tell them that we're going to mark course at seven in the morning, then you be there at seven in the morning. Otherwise, these guys are going to show up on time and they're sitting around waiting on you. I mean, right. kind of rude, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> show up when you say you're going to show up to me it's just a rudeness so that was another one another one was we treated everybody the same not just the elite runners there's no elitism no prejudice no exceptions we treated every person the same way and i think that was very important another one was i I think that's people see that with trail running too that's what people you know, maybe it's changing over the years, but well, one of the draws to trail running, Eric, comes down to you creating cutoffs. Are your cutoffs only good enough for fast people? Or are you allowing everybody mm-hmm. to run your race? Now, granted, you have to understand your volunteers are out there all that time, and you don't want to disrespect your volunteers. But are you really having that cutoff at a respectable place so that every runner can actually run it? So that you mm-hmm. can get all the customers and not just the fast ones. Right. I mean, it's another form of respect. Mm-hmm. 
So another one was, I felt like I was always open to criticism. I took a lot of criticism for a lot of different decisions I made. And I felt like I had to filter through nine whiners to get that one that was actually real and valid, right? Yeah. Because people sometimes just want a bitch. And that's fine. I can take the heat. And but sometimes those guys giving you shit have a valid reason to do so. So it behooves you to listen to all the criticism, to sort through it and take out what's valid. So I felt like I was very good at dealing with the criticism. Another one was I felt like I was always open to new ideas. I tried venues that I did not like. Rocky Raccoon, for example, I do not like that style of race. I do not like it that that easy. Now, mind you, some folks won't yeah. say that race is easy. But after running Bandera and Hard Rock, Rocky Raccoon is kind of easy. And yeah. I, I don't care for that format. But you know what? That race is huge and it pays big. So it was very good for yeah. me to adopt that race, even though I didn't much care for it because – it works. My opinion isn't the only right. opinion. Everybody's got a different opinion. Everybody's got different likes, dislikes. You have to be open, sure. find new ideas, see which ones really work. It's not about what you want. It's about what you can sell. I yeah, what like, your audience is looking for. I felt like I was always direct and honest, which for me was both a blessing and a curse because I said stuff that I probably shouldn't have said as honest as I was. But there were other times that it worked for me because there is no misunderstanding. When I, when I said stuff, people knew that's how it was. Right. Joe said it, he meant it. <laughs> well, and I think on the website, um, this is actually a question from um, one of your followers, one of the followers from that's in our group about, in the text, it says no wusses, wimps. You know, I think that's for uh, Bandera. That was not propaganda. That was being honest. Yeah. Did you? I'm um, curious if you ever got a lot of shit about that. Um, did Did anyone ever? No, nobody ever about gave that? me any grief about it ever. A matter of fact, I think most people took it as a challenge, and they yeah. ran it even when they shouldn't because. They didn't want to be considered one of those. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they it was sort of a backhanded motivational criticism, right? Right. It was funny how it worked. Well, yeah, it is a challenge, right? So and another one of those things, and you just brought up was the website. Let me tell you, I mean, we talked about this already. Mm -hmm. I created the websites and I wrote the software for the website around all of Tejas. One of the things I did early on was I was getting a lot of questions about the course and the water and the aid stations and the time cutoffs and all kinds of different, which airport to fly into. Every question I ever got, I turned it around and applied it to a place on the website. Mm -hmm. So that my goal with the website was to answer all the questions. So I rarely, after a few years, got any more questions that you couldn't refer to the website. And that was the whole purpose of the website. I never got fancy with it. It was so old school. It was right. meant to be simple and easy and blunt and direct 
and answer all your questions. And so the website, I think, and also helped in a tremendous way. That's interesting. The stuff you don't, I never even really thought about because my whole experience has been websites have been around. And it's like, if you don't have a website, then you're not going to be doing anything. Yeah. So, and I think, you know, I like what you said about new ideas and criticism. And it reminds me of, I think we talked about this earlier, just being able to, to suck it up a little bit when someone is giving you criticism and, and listen. And like you said, decide if that's, if they're just giving you shit or if there's some value to what they're saying that you can, you know, adapt or learn or change something for the future to make it better. Well, sometimes people giving you shit are even right. Right. Oh yeah. I mean, and that's, if you can let go of that. I mean, they know, don't have to be nice. To you, they don't have to be nice to give you positive criticism. Sometimes right. these guys that are being very rude to you are telling you something that's valid. <laughs> right. I mean, they're pissed off for some reason and right. sometimes it's valid. We sure. make we make mistakes. Stuff happens. Bandera yeah. one year, we had a mountain biker go out there and change some of the course ribbons and redirected the course. And it was it took about ten of the top twenty runners right out of the race. But somewhere along there, we had one of the girls that helped us mark the course came along in the race. She saw that it was wrong. She took the ribbons and fixed it. So when we went out there to find it, we couldn't find the problem. Oh, I gotcha. It wasn't until the race was over that we found Diana and she told us what happened and we knew completely the whole story. But, and then you had, but you had all those other folks that went the wrong way. What happened to them? So they got disqualified? They 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 dropped themselves out. They didn't know where the hell they were. They they. Oh. I mean, they were at mile 10. Suddenly, they're at mile 30. Right. I mean, they didn't know what the hell happened. They didn't know. We didn't know what happened to them either. We just knew that they were off course. Right. I mean, one of those people was a guy from Canada, and he simultaneously got scammed at the hotel he was at. So when he went back home to Canada, his buddies back home were asking him, so how'd your race go? And he told them the truth. And so we didn't get another Canadian at Bandera for 10 years. <laughs> and he wasn't lying. He didn't tell anything other than the truth. Right. Some ass screwed this guy in the race. And because of this one jerk that screwed us and the Canadian guy, we lost a whole part of our possible people coming to race. You know? So. Right. Learning experience. Yeah. Yeah. I think sometimes you have to realize like, Hey, that was, you know, but there's things you can do to prevent it. But because of that, we created a whole new group of volunteers. Those are what we call the, uh, the course control. Those guys are out there making sure the course stays marked. Yeah. Because we are dealing in a world where people like to do stuff. That's not nice. So how many volunteers do you get out there? Well, for years, it was always Henry Hobbs that did that for us. He would mark the course and then he would manage the course unless he was running in it. 
But if he wasn't running in it, then he would mark it and he would manage it. And he'd have a group of three or four guys. And we'd usually try to get some mountain bikers involved. They were handy as heck on this. Try right. to get the mountain biker community wrapped in with us. And they would ride around and check the course. And so it got to be a whole different kind of community add-in that was positive and beneficial. But it came from this yeah. guy shitting on our course. So. Huh. Well, and then – then you didn't have those mistakes. It didn't have those issues anymore. Well, what we learned was the places where it was the most potential for those things to occur. Yeah. Right. I mean, when you've been doing a race long enough, you know, where people miss turns, you know, where it's easy to change things and screw shit up, you know, those spots. I mean, there's parts of a course where you don't have to mark for five miles and there's nowhere else to go. Right. Right. You just need to, you just you get some you confidence markers. Yeah. Yeah. All of that. I think you kind of asked this or answered this, but um, in terms of what's next for you, I know you said right now you're kind of on hold with the uh, COVID stuff going on. Um, so do you have anything? What, what else would be on tap for you coming up next? Well, I just finished writing a book and I'm, I don't know anything about uh, promoting or anything and I had to get it self-published. So that book is out there. Um, What's the name of it? It's called Joe's rules, the art of trail race directing. And it's not on Amazon because uh, what happens is, is when you order the book, they make it and send it to you. So you got to go through lulu.com to get it. Okay. We'll put that on there. How do you spell Lulu? But from that, now I started a second book and this one's more, and the previous one was all about race directing and the stories wrapped about race directing. But I've been running for a very long time and believe it or not, I've written a race report for just about every trail race I've ever run. So I've got a collection and I'm putting them all together and trying to wrap my life story around it to create a second book. And I'm working on that. I'm still coaching. I'm doing a lot of virtual coaching. I'm still What's your website? For what? For coaching. your coaching. Actually, yeah. I'm doing it through Rogue. Okay. So you go to Rogue and you look for virtual coaches and that's where I'm at. Virtual coaches. Yeah. And you know what I did? And I then, used my own business for coaching. But is I Zen Trail your Pardon? Is that separate? Is Zen Trail running you or is that well, separate? Let me, let me tell you the history behind that. That's kind of a different story. I, I created Trail Zen as a coaching business. When I sold uh, Teos Trails to Chris, I was coaching under that, but Chris didn't want the coaching. He wanted the, gotcha. uh, the races. So okay. I had to take the coaching and create a new name. So I created Trail Zen as the business name for the coaching part that I kept when I sold Teos. And I brought my son in, my son Ryan, a Cedar Home, and I managed the coaching for a couple of years. But the funny thing about us coaching it like this as a little family thing is all of the runners are friends of ours. So after a while, it gets really hard to charge money to our best friend. So we were, our running and our coaching wasn't slowing down, but we were making less and less and less every month. 
until right. it just made no sense. So we simply flipped it over and turned it into a uh, we turned it into a club. So Trails End became a club. <laughs> and then I hired right. myself to Rogue so that people wanted me to coach them. They would have to pay Rogue. And that way I wouldn't have to talk to my friends about money anymore. Right. Right? Yeah. No, it's uh, it's interesting. Yeah, when you become close with your, your athletes and your you, you can't help runners, it. you become friends. And then it's um, – because that's just the personality – yeah. Um, yeah, you just you refer them to the website. <laughs> I, I killed my own coaching business because I was doing too good. Mm-hmm. We were very successful. We were having some amazing accomplishments and uh, creating some fantastic relationships. But you've done some coaching, too, and you know that – a big part of coaching is really life coaching. You're talking about the hard tax of not just running, but eating and sleeping and taking care of your, your finances and your family. I mean, if you live correctly, you're going to run better. So, right. It's all wrapped in that. Yeah. It's all wrapped up. So now you can't help, but make good friends of these people that you're coaching and, so after a while, I just had a hard time asking for money. <laughs> yeah, it's easier this way. Now uh, I let them pay Rogue, and Rogue pays me, and I coach the people just the same. <laughs> right. No, I think it's smart. You know, it takes that one less thing off your plate. Right. I mean, when I left and started coaching, yeah, I realized the whole thing about asking people to pay you was tough, and then figuring out the value of that. And then the first year, the first month that we had coaching, it was on PayPal. I had to send reminders to everybody. Oh yeah. There you go. So, yeah, yeah, I realized like one month in, I was like, this is not, I'm spending half my week emailing people about payments. So we've, I just switched it to recurring payments and there's so many tools now that can help. You know, it's, it's, um, pretty amazing. Yeah, but Even right now, during, but more than anything, you needed a buffer, somebody else to ask for the money, and so it's yeah. not you. Yeah. <laughs> um, you talked about this a little bit, but just in kind of in the closing, I just wanted to go over. Um, you know, I think I've told you I've looked up to you in a lot of ways in terms of your coaching and and the way you develop the community and um, direct races. Um, you know, what are some of those specific principles that you've lived by that, you know, have helped you and that you'd recommend to anyone? You know what, Eric, this is all the same stuff that we went through with uh, the community. It's the same thing. It's just me. Mm -hmm. You know, you do what you say you're going to do. You treat everybody like you want to be treated. You know, it's all the same things. So, I mean... Yeah, it's pretty basic when it's, you get down to it. It is really pretty basic. It's all stuff you can learn in kindergarten. I mean, this mm-hmm. is all sandbox rules, right? You play nice with the other kids in the sandbox, you know? Otherwise, right. you butt kicked out of the sandbox. Right. It's not, not, it, it's no. not complicated. It's about respect and honesty. So, but... I don't know. I'm not a complicated person. I'm certainly involved with a lot of 
complicated things, but I'm not complicated. So I've been doing this stuff a long time. I've run lots of races, been running 100 milers for a long time and probably over 50 marathons, but uh, it's all the same. How I run, how I coach, how I direct. I mean, I try to be honest about evaluating the circumstances and coming up with a decent response. So, Well, I'm... Yeah, I appreciate it. I'm um, just your thoughts on how you how everything came together, and I'm excited about your book. I didn't know you had a book out, so yeah, I it just I'm got published here. last month. It's only been out about a month. Okay. So Joe's rules: art of trail racing, art, art of trail racing at Lulu. dot com. So we'll put that on our on our notes in the story here. Um, but yeah, I just want to thank you again for spending your time today talking with us and um you know we'll stay in touch with you as things progress and which races that you know you start working on we'd love to hear about yeah i and i don't really know what i'm going to do next maybe uh maybe i'm still going to direct cactus rose i I thought chris wanted me to do it maybe i'm still going to do that um maybe i'm going to create my own race i i don't know i'm open to whatever opportunity uh shows itself to me but I'm not going away. I'm going to stay involved with all this stuff. I've been in trail running since 94, and I figure I'm going to stay in it. I enjoy the sport. still running a lot. I'm still healthy. 65, oh, I yeah. I'll still be running when I'm 95. Yeah, I think you will be. Uh, well, I hope so. <laughs> That's probably my next one challenge to get there. Toughest runners I've uh, <laughs> One of the toughest runners I know. Yeah, man. We'll keep it up, and we look forward to to supporting you however we can in the future. Well, you know, it's interesting. This coronavirus has changed a lot of things right now, but uh, yeah, I, I think people right now are still scared, and even when the races get started, they're going to come back up pretty slow. But once this thing pops completely free, um, I have a feeling these races are going to start to pop. Because mm-hmm. there's a hell of a lot more people out on the trails now than I've ever seen before. People that yeah, a lot more really people running. Yeah, yeah, trail running and just have time to run now, and you know. Yeah, um, I'm thinking, Eric, that this stuff once we bust free, it's gonna pop. Yeah. Not an issue. Oh yeah, people can say that. So yeah, I'm I'm excited to see. And just people are reconnecting with, you know, ways to de-stress through all this. And I think running has played a big role in that. Yep, I agree. On my neighborhood that I've been running in for the last eight years, I never see anybody. Since the coronavirus, there's probably, I passed 100 people on my little street the other day. There's so many people <laughs> there right now. Yeah. I mean, I'm meeting my no. neighbors for the first time. <laughs> yeah. No, there's... Our whole street is just kids running all day. Yep. Yeah, it's kind of cool. But at the same time, yeah, I like it. It's interesting. I'm wondering what's going to happen when uh, everybody's free to go about their business, right? It's like the right. old Southwest commercial. You're free to uh, <laughs> free to do whatever the heck you're supposed to do. Yeah, I think it's going to be an adjustment again. You know, 
It's funny how things change so quick. Different. I, I still really think that these races, these trail races, are going to have a big surge after after we get out of this mess. Well, yeah, and I think the fact that they're there are smaller crowds. There's more space. You're outside. You're not crammed all together waiting in a corral, you know, for the first hour. So I'm sure road races will do okay too, but I think ours will, I think trail races will take off, you know, I think a little quicker. Yeah. Yeah, man. Well, thanks again. All right, man. It's been fun visiting. Appreciate you, Joe. Take care. Man, I just love talking with Joe and we could go on and talk all day. So perhaps we'll have a second podcast coming up because there's plenty that we didn't get to talk about. Um, but remember the name of his book, his new book that is out, is called Joe's Rules, which is the art of trail racing. And it's on lulu.com, L-U-L-U.com um, for sale now. So I'm sure he has a lot more stories and insight on trail racing and, um, just grateful to have him on today sharing his um, things that have really helped him and that he's seen along the way after 20 years of, of trail race directing. Um, so also, as uh, you guys know, we uh, offer uh, virtual coaching and also group coaching here in Austin, Texas. So um, we would love to help you out through this time um, when you maybe you're finding yourself running more often or um, maybe you're struggling to get out and run so we build custom training plans and um for right now we have that for under 99 dollars a month and we'd love to to get you set so you can find all that on trailroots.com and um yeah we'll talk to you guys next week thanks for listening in